Every founder dreams of building an iconic brand and a product that gets remembered and recognized worldwide. Fewer products really manage to be as iconic as this, the Monzo card. That hot coral is known everywhere. As soon as you open a wallet, you recognize it. Well, luckily my guy Hugo, who's on the show today, he chose that color. He was the VP of product over at Monzo at the most important phase of their inception. And today he's gonna to talk about how you can get your product to do some really great marketing. How research with your customers is the most important thing you can possibly do and how to do it well. He's now running his own company, Packfleet, and you may have seen their vehicles around. It's sensational. And the reason you recognize them is because he puts serious thoughts into figuring out how he can create an emotional response with his customers. It's a really great episode with really practical advice on how to build a world-beating product that everyone remembers. Hope you enjoy it. I'm particularly interested in hearing about your story because, mm-hmm. of course, you work for one of the 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 real game changers in the products. You know, a, bringing a making a product, revolutionising it in many ways because you're a Starling and you're a Monzo and the two real challenger banks who just made the whole banking experience completely different. And I think that's really inspiring. And we'll dig into that a bit later. But what's really cool is that you are a product guy who has started a business, okay? And that's not a typical route. And I think it's great. So tell me a little bit about, a bit about that journey. So you started off, a, I don't want to tell the story for you, but you started off at Starling. Mm-hmm. I'm there. Were you working the product team there? So my, my background is, in, is actually in, in, in engineering. So I'm a, an engineer in computer science. I, I used to work as a developer back in the day in, in Spain. So I, I came to, to tech, I guess, from, from engineering. Right, um, and then only after that, I I got like professional training in design, um, and cared more about like what is that we build and not just kind of like how we build it. Right. Um, so when I moved to, I'm originally from Spain. When I moved uh, to the UK, I originally came for like a, like a sabbatical kind of thing, um, but then very early I, I I was just trying to learn English and like going to college to study English a couple hours a day and just kind of like enjoying some time off, uh, and then I met. The, the team that were at Starling, I only worked there for three weeks. So um, I didn't really get to do anything, honestly. Like, like it was, like, I don't think any of my contributions from those three weeks are still there. Like You're completely that. understanding yourself. I think we all know. No, no, no. Like that, <laughs> that, that company kind of like, like did a bit of a, like a, like start afresh kind of thing. So there's really nothing in there that I think is thanks to me in any capacity. Um, but then we started Monzo. And in there, I was there from day one. Wait, so how? Why did you leave after three weeks? They fired us. All like I was fired. I I, I can't say. That, and, he, and were you fired because it was your fault everybody. or where no, it was no, the no. business? Like fault? It, there was there was kind of like a restructuring and everybody oh, right. went you just like You've been there for three weeks. Yeah, I'll be like, oh, I'm so glad to be me here. and my gangs. Uh, so we were, I don't know, 14, 15 people. Everybody got fired. So only the CEO stayed. That's wow. how you can read this. I think it was in the New York Times or something. Wow. So that's how that's how Monster started. There had been people there who had been working for longer. And mm-hmm. so all of you, you just like, we're going to go and do our own thing. Yes. Okay. And so, um, and they'd known you for three weeks. They'd obviously trusted the work you were enough to be like, he's a good cat. Let's yeah. Him. I think it was a mix of like, so at the time, so I, I, I was the first designer that they had hired. Um, at the time, I mean, I had a very good portfolio because I, I had worked at prestigious places in Spain. And, okay. and so, so I think I, and I had like my own app and stuff. Like, I think I was like a good candidate, but my English was not good at all, okay? Like, now I can, I can be here chatting with you. Yeah. At the time, I couldn't. Yeah. Um, but also because the company had just 
like started from scratch. And at the beginning at Monzo, we were we were working at risk. Like we didn't have uh, funding or anything. So like the first, I don't know, three weeks, five weeks or something, like we were just working in a co-working space uh, with our own laptops, that kind of thing. So it started very, very scrappy. Uh, so I think there was an element there also of like, I think there was little risk for them to keep me around kind of thing. And I was like, yeah, I mean, I was doing my sabbatical, like, if this doesn't pan out, I go back to my sabbatical. So there was like very little risk. And I think that helped a lot to take good decisions at the beginning because there was no too much like agenda or stuff. Um, and yeah, and I, so, but to me it was very weird because it was my first like professional experience in the UK and going that like joining a company that then three weeks later, you don't have a job anymore. Um, it's very weird, right? And now it's like, oh, it's this thing of like, oh, we're actually starting, like, don't, like, stay with us. Like, we are going to start again. It's going to be all right. We're going to get funding. It's going to work, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and it's people that I, I mean, I liked a lot because that's why I decided to join them. Um, particularly one of the, like, the main, the, the founders, to be honest, the founders had Monzo. I had worked with them, even though just for three weeks. But all I had seen, I liked, I had liked. Um, but it was very, very early. Like, like we couldn't have real, real trust. Um, because you, you don't build that in yeah, three weeks, sure. and and it, both ways, right? But but they were like, yeah, okay, like let's let's carry on with this, um, and yeah, and it worked out. Like I like that. Why well, that's got? I mean, look, you took a risk, and that's what starting a business is all about. And if you're a and you're someone who hasn't got a job, and you're trying to find a job, and then there's a startup there, like with the biggest risk comes the biggest reward. So yeah, that paid off. So what I'm fascinated to know about because. Monzo is an, an astounding success. Okay, it really is. And you're there right at the beginning. And I imagine the energy and the belief and everything was great. What was it that you guys decided that you were going to do differently, which allowed you to make something so great? What mm. was it that allowed you to make a product which is, which is, is, is so iconic now? Yeah. What, what was the intention? Um, and the, the funny thing is, like, I wasn't even like looking for jobs, really. Like the thing that I was very excited about was build a bank. So that's something that now, because we've, we've had new banks opening in the UK, that was not a thing before. Like there were no new banks. Mm. Like that was not a thing, right? Like they made some changes of regulation so so new players could come and like they, they made it easier to be able to start new new banks. Yeah. Right? Um, and in Spain, it was the same. Like so, and I hated, I really hated that industry, like banking and I had been beaten by it and my family and stuff. So, to me, there was like a profound kind of like desire of like, I oh, is there an opportunity to do this properly or to do it better? Um, so that was, and, and then when you would talk with the people who started Monzo, and I think all the people who work there, even today, they all share that. That is like, actually, I want to make this better. Like this is something that's a utility. It's like running water or something like tap water. Like everybody needs it or electricity or whatever. Like it's a utility. You cannot get around without a bank account. And most of them are very, very bad. And at the time, they were even worse. Like. So I think the, the, the kind of like shared belief in there or the shared idea, like the main difference was to really be on the side of the customer. Like most companies say this, but if you look at any large bank, like most of the money traditionally was made from people not realizing that they were going to charge them and stuff like that. So there was a lot of money on that. Like part of the business was you should not realize that you're about to get in your overdraft. So we will be able to charge you some kind of fee and then like a couple of days and blah, blah, blah. That's how they made the money. Um, and at Monzo, from the beginning, that was, we are going to do the opposite. Like we are going to make a business by never charging you or never benefiting from your, your 
how to say it, like your bad luck, I guess. Yeah. Or, or, or misfortune. Or misfortune, exactly. Thank you. Or, or, or having elements that force you to take wrong decisions so then we can benefit. Yeah. Right? Which is like basically any bank, like typically, like they make things very complex. So you end up choosing what is actually not that optimal for you, blah, blah, blah because it's optimal for them. Yeah. And that's always been the opposite at most. Is no, like we only do things that are good for our customers and we try to make things that, or they try to make things that makes them money by helping the customer. Right, so they have all these premium offerings and stuff that like are very very clear. And if that's what you want, it's great. Like you pay some money to Monzo and you get a lot of value out of it. Um, and also like banks make money out of you using the card and like international transactions and all these things, which you don't even pay directly as a consumer. Um, so yeah, I think that that clarity of like our business is to be on the side of the customer. I think I was super super like crystal clear. Like it, it came from everywhere. Like definitely top down, like the founders and like everybody you would talk in the company, but all the people at the beginning had that like shared understanding. And that's in the DNA of the company. Like if you pick any random employee at Monzo today and you ask them about this, they will give you different answers, but probably the themes are very similar. That is that. It's like doing something that you genuinely think is is gonna be better for the for the customer. And again, they're not saving lives. Like, like no is nor is my business. Okay. Like this is not the NHS, it's not something that is like, oh like like to be a doctor or something, but what they do is way better than what it was before, um, and that is great. And I think I think it's already visible, right? Like the competition that they brought um, makes it makes it so that even if you are with a legacy bank, like with Santander or whatever, the bank you get today is better because of what Monzo has done and Stalin and Revolut and all these other players. I think I I completely agree with you. I think it's I think it's amazing what they've done, and um, great that you were a part of it so early on. You have an accolade, you know, which is everyone who's listening to this is going to needs to know. Yes, yeah, it's a big deal. As much as I named it the wrong color, you are you are the one responsible for creating the and just for everyone listening, it's not orange, the hot coral, Monzo coral. I am. It's iconic. Yes. It's iconic. Thank you very much. Yeah, and yeah, you know, I hope you've got it tattooed somewhere. Okay, I cannot show you, but <laughs> yeah. I love that. Now look. That's really, what's really great about that, because that is an iconic thing, because you change the game there, because no matter where you go, no matter who you are, when you see that wallet and you see that hot coral, you know who it is, you know yes. it's Monzo, and it separates you out because it made you look different to every other bank. And yes. it is, that is, that's product marketing. That's not marketing in the same way. It's not the traditional marketing. We're going out there. We've got branding message and so forth. You create a product which allowed people to yeah, and you managed to stand out using that product. Mm -hmm. What lessons from that, because it's not something people typically talk about, about mm -hmm. that product marketing to help uh, grow a brand, have you taken with you to Packfleet? And what advice would you give to other founders who are starting out? Mm -hmm. So the, the context of that, that I think is important. In the case of Monzo, like at the beginning, um, so with that kind of like iterative kind of like process, we were building something just for a hundred, a few hundred people to try it. Okay, so the first card, this one I design, I take all the credit in the world because I deserve it. Like good, my do. like they will never pay me enough for the value that I've given to the company <laughs> through that decision. Okay, so so, um, so that that was that was intended to be for like a like an alpha release. Okay, like for the original cards, we wanted something that would feel very very differently, um, and and the idea wasn't necessarily to be. I mean, we thought it was very cute and very, very cool. And we, we like, 
by some kind of random accident, we found that they could have like we could have fluorescent cards. And this is like one of those fluorescent colors that's why it's so vibrant and it looks so so bright. Um, and we like I, I had seen like also um, like prototype cars. It used to happen this like when when you would see a prototype of a car. In, on the road or something like they would paint them in really 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 yeah like flashy colors and yes. stuff like that yeah to, to show that it's like hey this is not ready to be purchased yet. yeah this yeah. is just like it comes from the future right so we wanted to give that vibe um and we did it and then people really loved it and that's why we kept it like the plan initially was we'll have this flashy card and eventually we'll have like a more traditional kind of like corporate look and if you look at monster like all their identity doesn't match the card. Like it's like navy and, and the logo is different. Like it's it's kind of like two worlds. And, and then the company has has known how to like keep what customers really liked and build on top of that and kind of keeping it together. Um, so the, the the idea there is like there's not really like I take the credit, but it wasn't like a master stroke or anything. Like it was a lucky lucky strike, honestly. Like we 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 were just had some intuition and and then it worked and we were smart enough to keep on pushing and 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 not just say, okay, yeah, we'll, this will be like a limited edition from the beginning and then we'll do something more, more traditional, which I think probably wouldn't have worked that well. And I say that because so many people you talk with, one of the immediate things they say about Monster, why they like it is because they like the card a lot, right? And before that, only people who had like an Amex would say that. Like if you had like an Amex black or whatever, it's like, oh, it's very nice, my card. But anyone, anyone else in the world thought the banking card was shit. Like it wouldn't look great, like that kind of thing, right? And now all banks have like these kind of like very minimalistic, solid cards yeah. with like a nice color and they try to find their own kind of hot coral, which is cool, right? So I think the learning there that you you can take is understanding a bit what's what's in the what are what are your competitors, like what is out there. Um I give you another example at Packfleet. We have our vans. You probably haven't seen them because because we have very few. But we've gone for a color that is um it's a color shift. So depending on how you look at, like the angle you're looking at the vehicle, the color changes from like green to bluish purple. Amazing. It's, it's very, very cool. It and sounds very cool. It's it's very, very cool. Mm. When it's sunny, it looks amazing. When it rains, it looks even better. Like it's just really cool. And we're spending some money on that, but we just looked at everything that was out there, like from UPS to Royal Mail to DHL to other players and kind of said, okay, what is that we can create here that is unique and it can represent us and it can create a new category. I think that's something I care a lot about. Like to say, whoever has a, a Monzo card, they don't have a bank account with Monzo. They have a Monzo, right? Like it's kind of like on its own category. And that's what we are trying to do with Packfleet. That when you get a delivery with us, it just lives in a slightly different category. Like it's not, it's in your mind, it's not like, like Hermes or like Every or DPD or DHL or any of these players. It's like a slightly different thing. Just a different thing that hopefully much better. And I think you can do that by understanding how from like use of color to tone of voice to positioning in general, like how they, what they do, how they present themselves. Mm. And chances are that in any industry, you'll be able to find things that you can own and you can kind of like be the only one who does that and then kind of like try to, how to say, like protect it and build around. Mm. And funny enough, like at least this happened at Monzo, like our competitors, they could have had hot coral cards. Like nothing stops them. Like Santander could, could give like, and probably yeah. would be a smart idea like to say, oh, you can choose now your card and if you want it, it's hot coral and that's it. And for some people, yeah. maybe it would be great. But they don't do it because it's like, it doesn't feel on brand 
and they have their own reasons, right? So chances are that if you are able to build something and push it, you'll be able to own it for a long time. And I think that's really cool. That's what Apple did with like all those like white headphones and all these things, right? Like, yeah. So building building that, and again, it's, I make it sound easy. Like these things are, are very difficult and there's a lot of luck I- involved. But like trying to find things that you can actually own and you can separate a bit uh, from others. But there's an investment. Like you need to, you need to be willing to to do the extra work. Like the hot color cards at Monzo, wow, we got so many times that the badges, the colors weren't good. Like they would they would mess it up at the printer and yeah. wouldn't, like things like that. With my vehicles now at, at Packfleet, like our, our our vans, they are like wrapped and whatever, and it's a pain. Like it's expensive to do. It would be much easier to have like white vans with you know some something plastered on the side. But we really care and we make that extra effort because we think it will pay off. Um, so yeah, kind of like betting, I guess, in some of these things, and to say, okay, we think it's a good idea, and be okay with the consequences and like pushing. Um, at Monzo, like even the cards they have today, there's been so many iterations. Like if you take an original Monzo card, like I have them all. Um, if you take like the original Alpha ones, the color wasn't as cool as it is now. The if you if you look at them sideways, it had like a white bit in the middle, sandwiched. The new ones are everything's hot coral, like. They've like they've iterated and made them yeah, even better yeah. and better and better, um, and then they have premium offering that is even better. Like they have like metallic cards and like stuff like that. I've got it. It's great. Cool. Yeah. So so all those things that takes effort, but then kind of again it creates that new category in which you hopefully you sit on your own, which I think is pretty cool. I completely agree with you. I think it's I think it's amazing what they've done, and um, <laughs> great that you're a part of it so early on. Hey guys, I hope you're enjoying the conversation that we're having here today. Pretty cool, isn't it? But I really quickly want to tell you about a show that I really, really like called Secret Leaders. They have amazing content on there and some really great advice for founders. So you're about to hear from the host right now. So listen up. If you're an entrepreneur in the UK and want to hear some powerful lessons from founders of companies like Deliveroo, Joe Malone and Monzo, then check out the Secret Leaders podcast. Each week, I have a raw conversation with someone who's changed an industry like fertility, esports, raving and crypto, so you can build a better business. Want to learn how to bootstrap, create a magnetic brand, get your first customer or even fire your mum? Yep, that really happened to one of our guests. Search Secret Leaders in your podcast app. See you there. In the current climate, marketing is hard. But do you know what isn't hard? making sure you never miss an episode of your favourite podcast. So tap the follow button on your podcast and you'll never miss out on the latest episodes of Unicorny or Marketing Difference. You can even go back and listen to our back catalogue of amazing episodes. If you do that, please leave us a review. It would mean so much. I completely agree with you. I think it's, I think it's amazing what they've done. And um, great that you're a part of it so, so early on. Now, that obviously gave you an experience of working in a startup and building something from scratch, which inspired you to then go on and start your own business. Mm-hmm. So tell me about what was that inflection point that made you decide, right, I'm going to go and do my own thing? Mm. Well, I mean, I, I was there for quite a few years, right? Um, so things, things changed over time. I think the things that I learned at Monzo, because I had worked at startups in Spain, but nothing of the scale of what we see in the UK or nothing of the scale to Monzo, right? Like, the way of hiring, the way of acquiring customers, um, the way to build software. And like this is one of the things I, I learned very early on. Um, to kind of like constantly ship things that maybe you're a bit uncomfortable with because you think they're not like polished enough or like good enough, but to be okay with that yeah. and to learn from it and to say, um, let's let's build what, what the customers want or need. Um, 
ideally both, and and kind of like learn from it and iterate. Like that cycle is not something I had experienced before, really. Like I, I was used to work in a more, not necessarily waterfall way, but more let's spend a lot of time trying to do what we think is the perfect thing and then we build it and then we release it. Um, and at Monzo, I learned a more kind of like why combinator kind of work, work of like, no, let's, let's move fast. Let's iterate, let's learn. So that thing, I think it's a, an approach that works for most things or for most of the companies I can think of can benefit from that approach unless you are like Apple and whatever and you can like build something amazing and then, then throw trillions into marketing yeah. um, or you're working on something very, very sensitive, like, I don't know, like air traffic control of an airport yeah, or something, like don't iterate yeah. on that, right? like yeah, do it yeah, very yeah. well from the beginning. Um, but so that, that kind of like learning I think was there um, for me and, and my co-founders to say, oh, this, we, we are kind of like building a set of skills that we'll be able to then use in other endeavors in the future, right? Yeah. And I think that is, that is how you start a company, like in our case, like Packfleet, which is uh, the company we started. Um, this is the first company we, we built as founders, um, even though the three of us have been for a long, long time at, at Monzo. Um, but kind of like bringing that mentality and saying, okay, how now from scratch, like what kind of things you have total freedom, I guess, to, yeah. to make the decisions you want to make. Um, and also make those failures. Yeah, if it course. goes wrong, it's your fault and it's really, it's empowering. And things like, like this is one of the things that is probably our biggest um, blind spot, I guess. Like things that we got at Monzo, uh, maybe for free or by sheer luck, and maybe we don't value them too much, but now we, like, we might find that it's like, oh, actually that thing that we took for granted doesn't really come just because. Like you need to build it. Um, I don't have examples because it hasn't happened yet, but I'm sure it will. Like it might be like brand recognition or um, capacity to hire well, or, or, or like certain things that at Monza were never a problem, we did very, very well, or funding or whatever. Um, and then it's like, oh, actually, there were so many things that we were just lucky, or we were at the right place in the right time, or that kind of thing, right? Um, which I think is something that most people tend to not acknowledge on, on, on this kind of industry, or this kind of work, like that there's a bunch of things that are out of your control, honestly, and you, you you can try to build the best conditions for things to happen, but you don't have certainty that things are going to happen um, and you don't control the markets and competitors and what people need, or blah, blah, blah. Um, so yeah, I feel, I feel it, it gave us a lot of, like a, like a good set of tools to know how to navigate these things, mm. but we're still very, very early on. Like this is the first company we build as, as, as founders um, and we've only started, like we've been, we've been in business for a year like a very little business, like we're well-funded and everything, but like, it's just the beginning. I love that. So how did you, so also said like, first of all, when you're, cause you're, you're a product guy and you're building the product from scratch now. Mm -hmm. Okay. And this is what, you know, people in the show always ask about, uh, what was like, how did you like, what were the best practices when you first started going out and doing it? Mm -hmm. Cause obviously you were doing this over at Monzo and it was a great success. Mm -hmm. And now you're doing this again in hindsight with those lessons that you learned in Monzo. Mm -hmm. What are some of the best practices that every founder should take mm. when building that product at day one? Talking with people. The one, right? I, I think that's the most important thing. Um, and I think it's something that for many folks in tech, it's very uncomfortable or it's not something they're used to. Um, and it's a muscle you need to develop, like to be able to very openly talk with people about their problems and 
how they do things at the moment um, and like basically research right like but just without any kind of or, or as much or as, as little as you want but like not worrying about structure and not worrying too much about um, like having some kind of like formal process but caring about have you heard anything from potential customers today have you talked with a potential customer today um, or with with friends or with whomever right but talking about the domain of the of the problem right like um, at Monzo early days like one of the first things we did as we started building things was to talk with people like I interviewed I think 150 people over the period of like a month or two with with some of my colleagues actually with Tristan when my, my co-founder and CEO at, at Packfleet like we bashed through most of the interviews together um, there was a point that I was so kind of nuts about this that we would record the interviews, like, but in a very scrappy way, like iPhone on the table kind of thing, like nothing like this, okay? Um, talking with people, I'm like, oh, how do you manage your money? Do you know how much money you have right now? How do you know if you can afford something? Like all these questions. And we would record them. And the ones that Tristan would do, then I would listen while I was working. So I was working on like designing the app or whatever. And I would have that on the background, just listening to the interviews. Because it really, like th that's what you are doing. Like you are trying to solve that. Like that the person that tells you, Actually, I don't open my, my app because it gives me anxiety or because I cannot trust the numbers that appear there because they are outdated. Like this is something people have forgotten about this, but like you would open your NatWest or whatever and the balance in there was the balance from two days ago because not all the transactions had like cleared. It is ridiculous, right? So all those conversations, getting them was super useful at Monzo and it's very useful at Packfleet. Like we try to talk with, with our customers or potential customers as much as possible. Um, and I think that works for, again, like I, I cannot imagine a business in which you wouldn't want that. Like talking with the potential people that you are solving the problem for. And this is not about like trying to get leads or trying to get users. No, it's, it's about like, oh, could we buy you a coffee or buy you lunch or whatever and talk about these things? Can you give us 15 minutes? Can you give us 20 yeah. minutes? Um, that to me is like first thing. Because you might even find out that maybe there's no problem to solve. Like maybe people are very happy with everything. Um, it also helps you to gauge what are things that you are going to need to fight. So, for example, <clears throat> we would, and it happens the same now, like if I ask you about like couriers, like how it is to re receive something on, like on the post when you buy something online, maybe, I don't know, like I'd be happy to, to know your, your answers, but like maybe you're happy with it. It's like, yeah, it works kind of all right. Like I buy online and things appear. And only through the conversation you realize that it's actually well, it's true, like sometimes they ring to my neighbor and they leave it there and then it's a fuff because the guy goes on holidays and then I cannot get my stuff and blah, blah, blah. And so that gives me a gauge of, is, is this a problem that is already acknowledged by society that is not very good or not, right? And with banking, it was the case. Like many people were like, they would tell you all the miserable things about their HSBC or whatever. And then did you ask them like, are you happy with that? And yeah. Oh, how come? Well, my, my parents set it up for me and, you know, and I'm, I'm happy with it. And getting that sense of what are the things that then through how you position your product and marketing and whatnot, you'll be able, you'll need to like fight to, to change that kind of like shared understanding of how things work or, or, or level up the, I guess the ambition or the, the, yeah, like fighting that apathy in some cases, like making people see that they deserve better and they could get a better thing. Um, yeah. And you get that through conversations. Like you, you cannot get just that just through traditional, I don't know, like, market research or whatever like you need to talk with people i love that i think it's so interesting and you said a really interesting point there well two like it's mad that the real superpower that you can gain is just 
from your customers. Just talk to people, ask people about their problems, ask them how. And it's such a recurring theme, yet it takes so much courage to speak to someone because, you know, you've been there and you and your co-founders have been sat in Monzo and you're like, guys, I think I've got this really good idea for a business. And you're like, great, yeah, it's a really good idea. Yeah, we think this, this is what we're experiencing. This is what we want to change, how we want to change the world. And there's a risk that if you go and speak to a customer, potential customer, they're going to be like, actually, no, I don't really care. <laughs> Do you know I mean like it's not really a problem for me? There's a risk that's going to happen, and mm-hmm. um, there's also a risk that you speak to people and you just you basically pitch at them, and you're like, and if you're really compelling and you're really charismatic, yeah. they're just going to agree with you, yes. you know. But you're not actually going to get any action mm. from them, you know. It's really hard. Mm. But one thing you said that's really fascinating, and that's um, really great actually. Um, startup theory is just an acknowledged problem that we've just accepted in society, you know, like. Starts raining, we know our feet are going to get wet. Yeah, do you know what I mean? That, yeah. But I don't want to wear wellies to work because they don't look cool. Yeah, it was that kind of thing, isn't it? Like, we just know that's the thing, right? And so trying to solve that is probably not a big enough problem for me to want to solve it. But there's so many problems out there that fall into that category. And so that's if you stumble across one of those and you really understand the gravity of that problem, you've got yourself a great business. Yeah, I love that. Um, that's really cool. So that's how you, so you ask those questions. That's the first best practice is speak to all of your customers all the time. And are you doing that continually? Mm -hmm. Or do you do that in phases? So ideally, I think you should do it continuously. At the end, it's like chances are you'll end up spending your time somewhere else, particularly as you start kind of like getting market fit and stuff. Um, Those things tend to become teams in many cases, right? Like you have like user research teams or then you have like, like marketing research teams and they just do that. Um, and maybe you have like classic like CEO that spends one day doing customer support a month, like that kind of thing, right? Um, I think ideally it's good that those things happen. Um, also because it helps you un- understand how things evolve over time. I think that's super important as well. Like when we started interviewing people, um, and also obviously none of them was a monster customer, right? Whereas today, if you were to do it, like you pick a random sample of people and like some of them are going to have months, right? Yeah. So now they can talk about problems that actually your product has created, right? Or your product hasn't solved. Or they might tell you about things that they would like to do that actually your product solves and they don't know. Yeah. Because it's just too complex. Or yeah. they haven't found the right button or haven't, like the right experiment or whatever it is, right? And it's like, oh, it would be great if I could do this thing and split this bill when I'm on holidays. And like, actually we have that feature. It's like hidden somewhere. Yeah. Um, so ideally, I think it's something if you can keep doing is good. Um, the same to understand your business well. So for example, at, at Packfleet, we do deliveries on electric vehicles um, and everybody in the company does deliveries once a month. Like I have it on Thursday, actually. I'm going to be driving. It's, it's quite fun because the, the, the vans are very fun to drive. Because you're, you're doing electric. the deliveries? Yeah, absolutely. I love of that. Of course. We all, we all do it. Like, and Got to get your customer hands support. Dirty, right? Yeah. And customer support. And it helps you understand that is the product, right? Like all the software, all that is, is like, that is just a channel. The actual product is that you buy something online and then your door, and someone knocks on the door and the box appears, right? Like yeah. that is the product. So we need to do that. Like we need to understand how that works. And talking with customers, a big part of that. Um, and talking with whatever players are in your business, right? Like in our case, we have our direct customer is, is the merchants, okay? So the people that have an online shop and they hire us to, to do deliveries. But then we have the customer of our customer, which is the recipient. And that person is the, is the most important one for our merchants, obviously. Yes. So by definition, they're the most important people for us as well. Mm. So trying to, trying to talk with all those folks and trying to understand what are the, the pain points and, and like, op- try to identify opportunities for improvement, super, super important. I think that's something you just should 
keep on doing until you are super confident that what you have is already working very well. You have amazing market fit and you're just printing money, right? So if that's what you do, like, I don't know, if you're selling, I don't know, Coke or whatever, like yeah. some product that is very stable and whatever, like probably you're all right. But if not, yeah, like talk with people. I love that. I love that so much. So taking that approach of like asking people these questions, so to try and find out what works, is that what led you down the zero emissions route? Hmm. Or were you sort of ethically inclined beforehand? Or did you just find by speaking to people, that's what they wanted? Yeah, that's so interesting. Um, no, I think I think we kind of like, I don't think you can not do that today, to be honest. Like, I think it's it's kind of like table stakes, right? Like like big businesses, like big couriers, and even though they are transitioning, but like they have so large fleets, like if you think like FedEx or whatever, yeah. like they just have so many diesel vehicles that they, they cannot switch them one day to the next because there's not enough manufacturing of electric vehicles to do that, right? Like it's just impossible. But I think everybody knows that that's where you need to go. Um, for us, like we, we're very proud of it. Like we do it. We have only electric vehicles. Everything is like charged with uh, full renewable energy. And um, we're in the process of becoming a B Corp. We are real, real living wage um, employer. So we are trying to do all the things that we think are kind of table stakes for society yeah. as a way of building a business. And that's kind of like our own principles, right? Like that's something that we just feel like that and we, we need to do it. Um, when you talk with customers though, you realize that that resonates with them. Yes. Um, and that's great. Like you talk with customers that say, um, and this is funny because it also realize, like makes you realize that when your marketing is not very good or things you've, you don't have very clear on your website or whatever, like we've sometimes talked with customers that are already our customers and they didn't know our, our vehicles were electric. And it's like, Oh, we and, and they say, oh, that's great. I'm going to put it on my website nice. uh, because my customers are going to are gonna like to know that. The, and it's like, oh, yeah, of course, they're, they're, they're electric. Like things like that. So again, like talking with people in, enables you to, to also find out how you need to tune your message or, or, or make it understandable for everybody. I um, love that. But yeah, all those things we, I, I cannot imagine a future in which you wouldn't do that. Um, yeah. With, because, because of the nature, and, and we are not like, weathered with with just electric vans like we started with that because it feels like a good balance of densities that we need to achieve or we want to achieve and and um, and, and london in particular and like like ultra low emission zones and like all these things um, but who knows like in the future we might have like bicycles or other kind of vehicles um, yeah so so yeah we're not like it's not something that's like set in stone in any way. We're just starting and that's a way that we think we can make tons of deliveries in a very good way. Um, and they're very fun to drive. Yeah. Like, you know, I don't know, have you ever tried one of these things? An electric an electric car? Yeah, I have, yeah. They're yeah. amazing. It's just so good. Like it makes you a better driver. It's like a go-kart. Yeah. It's so good. Like it's so good. So I don't I don't usually drive um I, I ride a scooter, but I don't usually drive uh, cars. And the classic thing, like you get like a pedestrian crossing and there's someone that is not very clear if they are going to cross or not. Yeah. If you're a good citizen, you slow down and you stop, right? Like yeah. third gear, second gear, whatever it is. And you kind of like stop and maybe they don't cross or yes. And and then you oh, start again. Yeah. And if you don't drive often, maybe you stall the vehicle, like kind of like, yeah, ah, yeah, yeah, fish. Yeah, 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 yeah. With an electric vehicle or electric van, it just makes you a better person because it's like, oh, that person might cross. You start slowing down. You just stop. And it's just one yeah, lift so, in your right. Exactly. Your yeah. It's so it's, easy. It's so good. It's got, no, I like that. Actually, on that, so the interesting question, um, a big part of your business, I guess, is also hiring drivers. Yes. Okay. So when you were, um, when you were hiring the drivers, were you also building your product with them in mind as well? Yes. yes. Like our, our drivers, um, 
So they are all fully employed by us. They use our vans. It's not gig economy. Like we are very proud of that. Um, cool. And we hire them like through traditional channels, right? The product they they, they use, let's say. Um, so they have a, an iPhone that we give them that they have it in the in the vans uh, with our own software that we designed and built uh, in house. And basically, it tells them where to go next, right? So it constantly tells you now you need to go to this place and take this box and give it to someone and take a picture and the, the signature or whatever it is, right? In the future, as we grow, I think we'll probably have like that would be on the App Store. And if you are looking for a job as a, as a driver, you would be able to download it, sign up, upload your credentials, whatever. And maybe you have like a video interview through the thing. Yeah, nice. And we book you for a, like a trial shift, like things like that, like as we get to scale. Um, Amazon has similar things, like they have this uh, flex thing where you can sign up and, and be a driver for a few hours. Yes, I saw that, yeah. But, but in all those systems, they kind of like, they put the burden of the employment on you as the driver, right? So you are the one who needs to have a vehicle or you need to have insurance or you need to like, yeah. it's, it's kind of gig economy. And again, it's, it's something that we are not interested in. So our goal is to be able to build that fleet that makes deliveries that are very, very good. It works very, very well. And we're not taking advantage of anyone. I like that. I think it's, I think that's great advice. Thank you so much. All right, last two questions. So, every founder, and you are clearly a very successful one, has a hack, mm -hmm. you know, to help people grow faster and help to help them grow faster, mm. build the business quicker. What would the one hack be that you would share with every founder? To be okay taking and uh, making decisions that are very cheap to revert or very easy to revert. I think that's one of the things that is. If you haven't seen it working, it's very counterintuitive. Like to be able to say, like choosing the color of something or whatever, like give it a try. Like what's the worst thing that can happen? Like if it, imagine like if nobody likes it, guess what? You can change it. It's great. Like yeah. nobody will notice because nobody liked it. And those who notice it, they will be happy with the change, right? So why wouldn't you try it? Like giving that, like not feeling too precious about things, I think is super important. Like to not feel that. Yeah, do not feel that the things you do necessarily represent you or anything and, and be okay with like changing your mind and being okay with being proven wrong. Um, and it's, I'm not particularly good at it actually, but like trying to be like to be relaxed about things and to say, okay, like let's, let's try this. Let's see how it works. Learning from it, like learning that kind of like constant thing. I don't think it's a hack. This is probably one on one of these things, but no, I think it is. Many people, I don't think, are comfortable doing. This I think things. a lot of people are very afraid to make decisions and to take risks. And I think you're what you're saying there is absolutely profound. And I, I couldn't agree more with you. I love that. And my last question is: we talk about something here called the startup sin bin, which is like if there's one thing that you could throw away out of the startup community and just stop it from happening. Oh wow, what, what would it be? I would say like like. Oh, like inequality and abuse and all these things, like like horrible things that happen. Like, like this is a very privileged world, right? Like anyone who works in tech, even if you come from the less uh, favorable background or the most discriminated background, chances are you were in a better position than most people because you got access to a laptop somewhere in a library or something, and like, and you ended up in London, blah blah blah. So, even the like the people who had worse typically tend to have quite a lot of privilege. But even with that, the, like most of these, these, these industries, like we are two dudes here talking about, and you're definitely white and almost white. Like there's, there's a lot of like, I think inequality built in in the yeah. system. And that it, it sucks, right? Um, it sucks for women. It sucks for people who are like different or are not the, the standard. And that, that sucks. It, like the decisions you make, try to make them better and try to be conscious about these things. 
um, and like walking the walk, I guess. Like I think it's a it's a big problem. Like I I do believe. Um, yeah, I agree with you. I think like, it's a serious one. It's one. Of I can tell you other things that are maybe more. No, like no, 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 no. But I think it's really profound. I think it's really important. I think it's one of those things that, you know, as you know, white privileged men who are in a great position to be doing these things, like there isn't an element of guilt there, but there's a responsibility that we have to make sure that, you know, as long as we're talking about it, it's a good thing, but it's better to be acting on it and yes. doing something about it and employing people based on their skills and nothing else. You yes. know, just and doing things, running competitions, running, you know, uh, that allow people to be represented by their work and not by their their creed or their background. Just that's what we need to be doing. And, yes. if, and as long as people aren't doing those things and aren't using their platform and aren't using their opportunity that they have and the privilege they have to try and help people who don't, then the problem's going to persist. Um, I think you're right to, to mention that. I, I give you, I give you an example. We can no, no, do do yeah, I'd love one. Like, like our drivers. Um, and again, we have a very small fleet and we're all together in the same space. So we have a railway arts where we have um, all the kind of warehouse stuff and the office people and the drivers and the vans and everything. Everything's in the same place. Cool. And many of our drivers tell us like oh how well you treat us like oh this is the best place where i've been treated and we don't like we just treat people normal you know but like the industry for them that are folks that typically haven't had that many opportunities to to be working on the kind of like fancy side of of the business where you get paid a bit more and blah blah, blah and you're very comfy yeah and you get interviewed and stuff um the conditions that many of those jobs um that the people who do those jobs experience in other places. Very, very different to what you see. So kind of like being aware of that and realizing what are the, like using that as a kind of like cautionary tale of like, okay, what are the things maybe I'm doing in my business that other people then would be hired somewhere else and they would be saying, oh, this is so great. Not like pack fleet, blah, 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 right? So I think that's very important like to always have it on the back of your mind. and being okay on changing things, on changing things on your culture and the things you do. Like at Monza, we had like thousands of examples of things that at the beginning the company would do and, and today would be unacceptable. And that's great, like to learn and to realize that there's a constant improvement that needs to be made. And I think you only get that by <clears throat> like being a bit humble about it and realizing and not thinking that you're doing everything great and all that stuff. Um, yeah. No, no, I think that's great. Thanks so much for coming on the show. You've been amazing. Thank you. 